Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 232, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Carrie and talk about how to turn dreams into reality. We will hit a million in 10 years. So um, so that is really exciting, but it almost, again, doesn't feel real yet um, because we're in the beginning of, of this journey. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my big picture co-host, Scott Trench. Thanks, Minnie. It's always great to be be here with you. And you always zoom in on these clever intros. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or make a decision between three really good options, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am super excited to talk to Carrie today. She and her wife are having a great problem. They have just paid off a ton of debt, $66,000 to be exact, and are now looking at what the future holds for them. And I think they're at a crossroads that a lot of our listeners find themselves in. Which amazing life decision do I make next? Yeah, I, I think um, I think there's a lot of folks out there who earn a good income or have recently begun earning a good income and are not sure what to do with, you know, all the extra cash that's that's coming in with that and, and how to how to think about that strategically. They've done a really good job of, I think, cleaning up their spending um, over the last year or so and are out of a lot of bad debt and now have big decisions to make. They're good problems, but they're very high stakes and important problems as well. And I think we had a great discussion around them. Yes. We give, uh, we give Carrie a lot of research opportunities today, things that she should look into that are specific to her situation, <laughs> but that also people who are listening can find themselves in this similar situation. They need to go research this themselves as well. So my attorney makes me tell you that the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets are engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The easiest way to collect rent? Rent app. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Carrie and her wife have big, big dreams. Coming up with big plans for their future isn't the issue. It's the strategy and the process where they find themselves having questions. Today, we are going to look at where they've come from, recently paying off $66,519 in debt, hooray, and where they want to be in five to 10 years. Carrie, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I am super excited to talk to you. I think this is going to be a really great episode. Carrie, let's jump right into this. Let's talk about your income statement. Let's look at what's coming in and where's it going. Okay, perfect. Um, Okay, so as far as our income, um, we have uh, $900 a month that we have in rental income. Uh, Currently, we're doing the house hack model. Um, So we're living in one unit and renting out the other. Um, and so in addition to that 900, um, my wife, uh, roughly brings in between four and 5,000 a month. And then I'm roughly bringing, um, 10 in some change, uh, with my, uh, just regular income. And then occasionally we'll have some windfalls, uh, of a bonus, uh, that I get twice a year, once in August and, uh, another in February. Are you, uh, are these after tax numbers or pre-tax numbers? These are all after tax. Awesome. So we got about $15,000 in after-tax income hitting your bank account every month. Correct. Wow. That's awesome. Um, Well, let's go through to expenses. Okay. Um, So uh, for expenses, um, we have, if I just do like the big bucket items, um, the mortgage right now um, has gone up uh, from (laughs) just a few months ago because of a tax situation that happened. I don't know if you're familiar with like different tax issues from real estate, but basically um, they uh, they do things different here in the, the county that I live in and our taxes were raised. Um, so that is currently um, 1400 a month um, on our mortgage. Uh, part of that is some tax repayment pieces of it, but for at least the next year, that's what it's going to be. Um, we have roughly $60 that we give um, between uh, different, oh no, not 60, sorry, 120 that we give between different charitable sources. Um, for other expenses, uh, we do pay uh, about 115 toward a HELOC, um, which is a smaller loan that we kind of uh, had at a low interest rate um, just to kind of help with some of the um, house repairs that kind of came up during this big pet uh, debt pay down journey that we, we recently embarked on. Um, and then, uh, let's see, bigger items. Uh, we have a $628 um, uh, car payment that is uh, actually a uh, lease, not an owned vehicle. So even though we have six grand left to pay on that, um, it's it's not like you know we come out of the other end of that or anything. 
um, roughly 182 toward a phone bill. Um, we have uh, a small loan uh, for $222 a month um, towards, uh, we put an AC, actually two AC units um, in our duplex that we live in. Um, and then let's see, Comcast is 150. Um, and then utilities pretty much adds up between, let's see, water, lights, uh, and gas, something around, just doing some quick math here, but probably about 500, a little under 500. And, and that's, um, we, whenever we put these numbers in, we always like give really conservative estimates. We always anticipate paying more so that we have a little bit of wiggle room in our budget kind of later on. Um, but if you were to add all of those up together, um, it would be uh, roughly in monthly bills, uh, 3,426. Um, and then I have other kind of what I call variable necessities, which is like groceries, dog food, gas. Um, and then uh, and then there's like subscriptions too. So uh, the necessities that are like variable um, are groceries. We spend roughly $900 a month in groceries. Although I will say that is like, not just food, it's also, you know, shampoo and like all those other things that kind of come with it, but we grab at the grocery store. Um, dog food is $244 a month. We have two very big um, lab mixes and they kind of eat us out of house and home. We also give them pretty fancy food. Um, so that's, uh, that's one of the other variable expenses. And then uh, gas is roughly $150 a month. Um, and then we have subscriptions. Um, like Amazon, uh, we have a true green subscription because we're trying to get our lawns um, looking nicer than uh, than they had been. Uh, Netflix, things like that kind of fall into that category. Um, also, I, I do a wine subscription, so that's probably the bulk of that one. Um, uh, so the total that kind of comes between um, uh, all of the monthly bills uh, plus the um, uh, variable necessities and subscriptions uh, comes out to be about $5,000 a month. Um, so I guess when I think about like, uh, you know, the number that you would need to have six months of, you know, emergency savings or whatever based off of, that's kind of the number that I'm kind of going around somewhere between four and five for those like very necessity kind of items. And then um, in a, in a, what we had been doing for the most part of this year um, was had a discretionary spending amount between like 800 and 1,000. And that's from anything like things that pop up with the dogs, like a, a vet bill. We hadn't really padded our emergency savings um, for most of the year, but $1,000 was really just kind of like a coverall, like, oh, we need a new pair of jeans or uh, whatever, want to go out to eat or something like that. That would sort of encapsulate all of that. Um, so we were... Uh, you know, mostly spending about six grand a month in all of kind of the bills plus necessities plus, um, you know, discretionary spending. Uh, over the summer, though, we have been spending a little bit more and that was actually intentional because we had a couple trips planned, et cetera. Um, so that discretionary spending amount went up by a couple grand. Um, so all in, we have been spending over the past three months about eight grand, but that was after a big chunk of the debt pay down journey happened. So, um, there is kind of some wiggle room there. We we figured for that to happen. Thank you for for a lot of that detail. That was, that was fantastic um, with that. I think we will definitely have to spend a lot of time in the expenses on this because there's a lot to okay. unpack there. Okay. Um, but let's let's continue through and talk about net worth now. What what are your 
current debts and investments right now? Let's see. So debts, um, I have, which is I know going to be probably a bigger topic of conversation. I have uh, $18,000 in student loans. Um, that is at a, they're like a bunch of tiny little loans, but they average out to be 5.5%. So I know that's kind of like in your, you know, gray area, five to 7%. What do you do with that kind of thing? Um, so that's 18K there. Uh, the window loan is uh, 9,000. Um, I don't want to pay that off early just because it's a zero interest kind of same as cash deal if we pay it before uh, July of next year, which we already have a plan to do. Um, and then the uh, other one is the HELOC. So that's at about 10K right now. And that really came from, we had a little mini disaster in March where um, our sewer line broke under our house and then they had to like excavate our front yard and it was a whole mess. So that really covered that so that we wouldn't have to add anything uh, to our debt that we were already trying to pay off. Um, that's a pretty low interest rate too at 4%, the HELOC. So again, I'm not like super rushed to pay that off. And then the only other one is the mortgage, which is at 155. Awesome. And what about your investments? So investments is, I think, where we're going to, um, th that's kind of our next step. So we don't have a lot in terms of investments. I mean, I guess if you were to include um, the equity that we have in our house right now, since we've fixed that up and also saw appreciation in the market, um, we have roughly between 80 and 100K in equity on our home. Um, another question in this uh, session today from us is going to be whether or not we sell the house um, because we uh, are probably not looking at living where we're currently living in the long term. Um, so kind of thinking through that strategy. Um, but uh, other than that, I have like some stock in my company that because we're not public right now, it's I'm I'm pretending it's not there. Like if I if I if I get that windfall eventually one day, that's cool. But I'm not going to bank on that. So that's what I would say in terms of our uh, um, investments. And how about emergency reserve? How much do you have? Oh, uh, emergency oh. reserves. Sorry, I forgot about that. Uh, emergency reserves. We are at 15k right now. Um, we decided to like basically whittle that down to nothing as we were going through the debt paydown journey, and then we only recently just in the past couple months started to build that back up. I, I love it. I, I think a huge part, so what I'm gathering here is is you have a mo modest net worth, probably just positive, probably in that 50 to 100, maybe maybe zero to $50,000 range. Is that is that sound about right? Yeah, I, I would guess, yeah, not very much, no. <laughs> yeah, but something around there, yeah. <laughs> but what I'm gathering is that you just went through a remarkable debt paydown journey. Could you could you fill us in on the backstory of, of your debt paydown and, and recent events? It sounds like there was a move from yeah. from California to, to where you're currently located. Can, can you walk us through maybe the last year yeah. or two or, or whatever that story is? Yeah, yeah. So um, there has kind of been this trend, I think, in, uh, in the tech space. I, I work in tech. Um, but there's kind of been this trend in the tech space, um, this great migration out of the Bay Area into uh, kind of lower cost areas. And so um, my company uh, was opening up an office uh, in kind of that Midwest, uh, kind of Eastern region. Um, and as a part of that, they asked me to move to help open up that office. Um, and so we, we did relocate in a part of that relocation. Um, uh, 
we wanted to really capitalize on the fact that like, hey, we couldn't afford real estate where we were coming from. So like, let's do that here. Um, and so that's where we bought this duplex um, that needed a ton, a ton, a ton of work. And we're like, oh, great. My wife's very handy. And she actually was a carpenter and what I call a past life. She's had, she's had, she's had many lives, um, many career uh, kind of uh, areas that she's been in. But um, we decided to uh, purchase the duplex. Um, we completely renovated it top to bottom and all inside and out. Um, and so that was a really big part, I think, of what brought us into that debt was actually, it was more of strategic debt, I guess. It wasn't just some of it, as I think Mindy had kind of mentioned, is like some of it was, you know, like uh, just going to Gap and, you know, buying some things or whatever. But I think the majority of it really did come from uh, having to buy things for the house or pay things like material costs, that kind of stuff. And then also, um, you know, eating out, buying pizza because you're so tired at 2 a.m. in the morning and you're like, you know, I just need to eat something, uh, you know, kind of quick and fast. And so you're doing like drive throughs and things like that. So that that all sort of added up. How old are you guys? So this is going to be another time. There's so many topics I have for you. <laughs> um, We're a 12 year age difference. So I'm 30 years old and she is uh, 42 years old. Actually, she just turned 43 and I'm going to be turning uh, 31. Um, but uh there, there is an age difference there. And, and part of what I um, maybe wanted to talk about as well on this show is like, how do we think about that in terms of retirement? If, you know, one of like my 401k is only going to be helpful for like when I'm that 59 and a half or whatever. So there, there is an age difference there as well. When did the um, discussion, I, we'll definitely get to that. I'm sorry. I'm just rapid fire peppering yeah. you with questions. Yeah. When did the discussion about building wealth kind of get serious in, in either your your life or your joint life with this? Yeah. Okay. So we have always wanted to invest in real estate and that was really like appealing to us. So the 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 decision to move um, out of the Bay Area was, was a financially motivated one. Um, and then buying the house was also a financially motivated decision. I can't say that we, you know, put pen to paper and actually we're tracking our expenses and doing budgeting and all of that stuff. It was kind of just like a shoot from the hip kind of thing. So when we actually got serious and started tracking spending, doing all that, that was January of this year. You've been undergoing a process for the last year or two of getting more serious about money that has had multiple uh, jump starts and it's yes. paying off. You're, you're, you're saving a ton of money right now and, and, and completely overhauling your financial position, but this is still relatively recent and you're still kind of picking up a couple of things. Let, let me ask you this. Were, were, were both of you equally excited um, about the move away from California to the current location? There was definitely some hardships there. Um, she was a uh, uh, managing owner of a restaurant. And so she like had to had to essentially give that up for this move. And so there was a little bit of a slow start for her to kind of find work here. Um, and uh, and so she's just now kind of getting on her feet with that. But I would say her two main skill sets are really in kind of uh, restaurants and all anything that has to do with that and then um, carpentry. So right now she's doing carpentry work. Um, but we do eventually, and this is another topic of conversation, we do also want to look at um, owning a restaurant one day too as a, a possible small business venture. Last question for me until we get back into more of the specifics of this. Um, uh, what, are your, what are your goals or, or what's, what's the, what are you looking to achieve from our call today? Yeah, so I think goals for the call are just to um, really help us to create uh, more focus and a better strategy for what we're trying to accomplish here. I think you kind of 
hit the nail on the head. There's been a lot of starts, but like they're all, they all seem to not go in the same direction. Like there, there are many different philosophies that we've had over even just the past few years on building wealth. And I think that has slowed us down. Um, and so what I would really like to get all of your take on is how we can uh, build that in the right path, um, accelerate that wealth, um, and, uh, and, and, and trying to get to the, the, the kind of bigger goals that we have um, in sort of the time range that we're hoping to achieve those by. Well, let, let's, let's start with what, what you're doing really well right now is you're saving a tremendous amount of money each month. And that is the number one fundamental that makes all the other decisions right now relatively less important, I think. The, the decisions about where you allocate investment capital and those types of things, we'll get into that for sure, about whether to pay off debt or invest and that kind of stuff. But you have a, an incredibly strong position of like eight grand in cash per month that is hitting your bank account after expenses, right? And so that makes these, this discussion very easy in a lot of ways and gives you a lot of luxury where you could like you just do that problem and that masks the impact of a lot of these these other investment decisions because you're going to get rich quick either way if you keep that up <laughs> on that but i think that you still have more room there and that may be the most important place to focus so I, why don't why don't we start with those expenses and dive into a couple ones that stood out to us yeah sounds good Okay. Yeah. I think that one thing, Scott, before we jump into her expenses, one thing we don't do enough of on this show is commend people when they have paid off a huge amount of debt. You paid off $66,000. That's fantastic. Hooray, hooray. I'm so excited for you. That should be, and it seems like it is, like a huge motivator to continue that. Um, the You have an, a loan for Windows that is you said is the same as cash, so you have a plan to pay it off during that same as cash period, which I think is fantastic. Why pay it off if you don't have to? It doesn't cost you anything. It's not negatively impacting you to have this money out, and you have the ability to pay it off. So I love that. Um, some of the expenses that popped up that I had questions about were the utilities. Are you able to split those out at all and charge the tenants for utilities, is that a thing in your area? I know sometimes in this market, utilities are included with all the rents. So in other markets, it's common to to build the tenants. So is that an option to get a little bit of help with the utilities? Yeah, um, actually our tenants do have a separate meter. So this is, this is just our uh, gas, electric, and well, the water bill we have to pay because that's for the whole house. Um, so the water bill is 65 of that. Um, and then I, I budget high for things because I feel like if I, if I just put the number in of the highest I've ever seen it, then like it will, it will be lower than that. So that's kind of how I do budgeting. Um, maybe that's not necessarily the right approach, but the highest I've ever seen the lights is 120. The highest I've ever seen the gas is 300. And that's typically in the winter time. So, um, it's usually less than that. We, it, that's the highest basically, but, but we usually have a little bit of cushion. Yeah. Okay. I like that idea. Um, sometimes budgeting can be really daunting. So if you just use these high numbers, then you're coming in less every month. Hooray, you win. Um, if it continues to come in super high, I'm wondering if there's a way to mitigate it. Like if you're both not working from home, can you turn it down during the day in the wintertime when it's really cold, get some sort of programmable thermostat so it starts to warm up again before you get home? Because I hate walking into a house that's 40 degrees. 
Um, the, the car payment is it's a lease so now there's things to think about i'm not going to tell you that a 628 dollars a month lease is a really great idea i'm not going to harp on it because there's nothing we can do to change that but what are you going to do with the car when the lease is up in uh next summer do you need two cars can you get rid of it um, and cars are really expensive right now. I don't have a lot of experience with leases. When you sign the lease, do you have an opportunity to buy it at a specific price at that time, or do they set the price when you bring it back? That that is, yeah. So that's they're, they're good questions. I actually um, that's something that we have to look into. I don't know. I know that you do have the option to buy it right, like when you bring it back. Um, and so I don't know if that in the paperwork it was like already agreed upon price and then we can you know buy it at that cost when we you know instead of doing a trade-in kind of thing um i am on the uh slow offensive front of trying to just get us to have a cheaper car um my wife is a very big car nerd and so that is like that has been a journey um she has said on a couple of occasions if we can if we can think about x then we can she'll settle for a, a less expensive car. So I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to massage that in, but yeah, it, it's, it, I think it's expensive. I think it's high for a car. And I, but then again, I don't really care that much about cars. I could, I could drive a beat up Corolla and be fine. Um, but we, I will say that we, I did get her to sell one of our cars. So once I became like a hundred percent remote, um, uh, with COVID and everything, uh, we had two cars and she was really driving the SUV is the one that we have. Um, that's the $600 payment. And so I got her to sell her her car that she had, um, which is kind of impractical for where we're living now anyway. It was kind of like a small, like almost like a race car of sorts. It was just not necessary. Um, and so we did sell that. So we don't have that car payment anymore. Um, and we did give a little bit of windfall that we put towards debt. So. So right now with COVID and supply chain interruptions, cars are really in short supply. Um, I would look at your lease documentation now while you have the opportunity. If there's already a, a like a set cost where you can pay for it and get the car, it might be so low that you could buy it for that price and then immediately turn around and sell it. But cars are in short supply. Used cars are in short supply. I only know enough about this to be dangerous. So I'm going to make you do all the work and go uh, learn about that. But definitely read your lease documentation way in advance. And then if you don't have the opportunity to buy it at an already set price, it may be really, really expensive to purchase this car, in which case it's a better option to give it back at the end of the lease. But then what are you going to do for a car? So you have a little less than a year to decide on these things. Hopefully the supply chain is uh, back up to speed by then and your options are greater, but you know, just something to think about as you're going through this. Yeah, it's a great idea. I, I wrote that down. One other thing that I see is your cell phone bill. Um, what was that again? Was that 180 or was that, cause I have 290 and maybe you yeah. have. I got that down. Uh, actually Yay. after watching or listening to your show, I, uh, I called them up and, um, it turns out that, uh, which I didn't even know this was a thing. Um, my wife used to live in Chicago. Um, she's lived all over the country, but apparently in Chicago, you pay higher taxes for self. I don't, I didn't even know this, but that was adding something to our bill. And then I guess the other thing was that our phones, cause we had purchased new 
phones and there was like a payment that was like as a part of that bill. We're not planning on getting new phones. Uh, thankfully, that's not something that she nerds out about. So we're going to keep our phones until they until they basically die. But um, the 180 is what we were able to get it down to from the 290. That does have an unlimited uh, data package, which I have tried unsuccessfully to get us lower. But we, we do use a lot of data and it's uh, kind of difficult for us to pair back on. Um, there are less expensive options. I know that Republic Wireless has a like ten or fifteen dollar a month plan, and Mint Mobile has a ten or fifteen dollar a month plan. Those are options to look into. They run on different networks. I think they run on the Sprint network or the T-Mobile network. So, you know, okay. make sure that that network comes in where you're living and where you're you're spending a lot of time making phone calls. Um, but there are ways to get your, your cell phone down. Now, this is all assuming that you don't have a contract. If you have a contract that you have to break, that can be very expensive. So again, just uh, some homework to do is to read all of those, all of that information and make sure that that you aren't, uh, make sure that you aren't costing yourself money, you know, to break a contract to go down. Um, Scott, what else did you see in the expenses? You know, I, I now that now that I'm looking at it, we discussed them. I think the car one was a big one. Um, if you make it a, a different a, a different decision there, long term, that could be hundreds of dollars. Um, and then a cell phone was one. I don't think there's a lot in your discretionary spending. I mean, you can you can probably knock some of that down by being very disciplined, but then that's going to impact your quality of day to day life um, in there. And you don't need to in order to create an enormous surplus of, of dollars that you can um, deploy how you will. Literally $100,000 annually um, are be, is being created. And that's a conservative estimate um, here, not, not including the bonuses you're going to get yeah. a few times a year um, and potential equity from your company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't include bonuses in, in any of that. So I, I, think you're, I think you're spot on in, in terms of our savings right here. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think I think based on that, let's let's go to what should we do with this hundred grand annually that you're going to begin generating and 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 all that. What do you, what do you think? What what are your instincts telling you that you want to do and um, with that? Um. So we have to we have to get into the stock market <laughs> at some point soon. I feel like a little bit of FOMO, <laughs> the fact that we have not invested um, in the stock market yet. Um, I think just how we go about doing that, like I mentioned that 401k option versus an after-tax brokerage account, um, that's what I kind of need a little bit of help with. Um, I do want to finish padding our emergency savings. I mentioned we have about 15 grand in there right now. According to my little sheet here, uh, we should be... um, We should be closer to uh, 22... No, 20... Yeah. A little under 23 um, by the end of this month. That's with that savings rate that we have between that, that 7 and 8K that we're producing right now. Um, so I feel like that would make me feel a little bit better to then start maybe investing in the October-ish timeframe. Um, but yeah, I, I'm thinking index funds. Other than that, I don't really know enough uh, to say. Um, what do you want? Do you want to retire early? Do you want to... Uh, uh, build a lot of wealth and just save for retirement? Like what, what is it? What is your, like, I, I, could you, can you restate your end goal? Yeah. Okay. So this, this is one thing I think uh, was probably 
pretty well captured in Mindy's summary, but like we have a lot of goals, we have a lot of dreams and there's like never an, uh, there's never an end to like, you know, coming up with what we want in life. It's a matter of like, what's more important. And then like, in what order do we, do we have those things happen? Um, so maybe if I just like say the big ones and then we could kind of like reverse engineer it from there and figure out what the right kind of financial strategy is. I will say this with a caveat, like the stock market piece is like the the nice passive, you know, way of investing, but we are also like pretty handy, right? Like we know how to fix up homes, we know how to, you know, run restaurants, like so so that is an option for us as well. But um I would say goal wise, um uh, my wife is getting to the point where like we start, we need to start actually thinking about kids sooner than later because I don't want her to be, you know, 80 and sending our kids off to college. So, um, so, uh, the ha having kids is one thing. Um, uh, having a, a single family home is a goal for us. Um, eventually, uh, if it doesn't make sense in the short term, I think we're both fine with that, but we do want a nice home eventually. Um, and I would say, Probably other thing is uh, it really is a goal for us to start that restaurant um, or have that kind of small business. So um, in terms of like the short term things where we probably wouldn't want to put that money in the stock market, like that that that's the that's the the, the cash. I guess we would we would need to think about the cash to get to those goals um, kind of in the shorter term. So you want you want financial flexibility right now. And you believe that you are ready, willing, and able to repair properties and start businesses? Uh, we, we are capable of doing it. We're not in the financial position to do it, um, if I understood your question correctly. You'll, you'll be in financial position in one year to do that, if you if that's what you, you want, based on what you just told us <laughs> about okay. your savings rate with that. Okay. Um, you'll have 100000 <laughs> you can, you can accumulate $100,000 in liquidity. That would be plenty to purchase a restaurant most likely, um, or at least, you know, finance a restaurant, buy and then finance a restaurant okay. or buy and finance a one or two rental properties with that. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, from that perspective. So, uh, and let, let's also just call out like, you are also in position right now to easily cover the cost of, of, of raising children, even if one of you stays home, at least um, if, if, if your wife stays home, since yeah. you earn the higher income with that. Yeah. Um, so th that that's also something that I'm observing about your, your finance. You, you won't save $8,000 a month following right. that, um, but, you, right. but you can still build wealth and, and, and do that um, from there. So I think uh, what you're saying is like, you know, you know, how do we kind of envision our, our family like once we do bring in children? And, and that is exactly how we did envision it. She would stay home with the kids and, and I would be working. I think in the next 10 years, like a 10 year goal for us is for me to also like not necessarily retire, but have the option to if, if I wanted to. And so when I think about like, what do we do first? Um, I'm kind of thinking this like next year or two in my mind is like, the continue to hustle hard and then like and then maybe that's when we start to you know reap reap the benefits of what we've been doing um but we're at this weird point in time where like we just came from a super high cost area where we weren't really able to save anything we come to a low cost area put in a bunch of money in this like you know investment uh that you know ho hopefully is going to pay off um and then now we have paid that down and now like a debt's down and now we're like on this. So I'm not really used to um, having money in the way that you're talking about it in the future sense, if that makes sense. Like I see it on paper, but I kind of don't believe it. <laughs> so.
That's because you just crushed your debt and yeah. you've only been doing this for a year and you have no money right now. But yeah. your, 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 if your accumulation is the way you just articulated it, that will be a hundred thousand. You have yeah. the option to accumulate a hundred thousand dollars in your bank account after tax and yeah. probably have incredible credit in those types of things, which yeah. will allow you the option to either invest in stocks through a 401k or through after-tax brokerage accounts to either buy a rental property or to buy a small business with that. Those are three good options. Which one you choose depends on your, your goals. And I think that that's where my advice would be to have a money date and, and plot that out and say, here are three things we can do next year. If I crush the debt, we can be debt-free and have 40 grand left over outside the mortgage with that. If we invest in stocks, we can have 36, 37,000 inside our 401ks plus our matches or those types of things. Or, you know, maybe if, if, if I have a Roth 401k option, that or, or whatever, I can have somewhere in that ballpark of money inside retirement accounts, um, tax advantaged, um, and then also have this amount of cash left over. Or we can have, you know, um, and, and we can, or we can have cash and we can just not invest or pay off the debt and just have this much cash and buy a rental property and a restaurant or buy a restaurant. But I, I think, I think those are the options available to you inside of one year to 18 months. And I think that having that conversation now and learning a little bit more about that will be hu hugely advantageous because you'll be able to say, Oh, that's how much it costs to buy a restaurant or a franchise or whatever it yeah. is. That's how much it will cost to buy a rental property in one of these several locations we might consider moving in or, 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 or a small portfolio. Or oh. if we want to do the completely passive route, here's what that looks like. Yeah. The good news is because you accumulate $100,000 annually <laughs> without doing anything tax advantaged, you're going to accumulate a million dollars over 10 years. And if the market does even close to average returns after that, you're going to have well more than a million dollars in 10 years, yeah. which is likely to achieve most of your goals in your 10-year plan. With yeah. that. So you don't have any bad options, but I think those are the... How, why don't you react to those three options I presented and, and maybe see if there's there's other options as well that I haven't thought of here. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I'll just say like uh, my wife and I come from very, very humble... Uh, <laughs> we, we, were, we were raised with modest, uh, you know... Um, living. And so, uh, to say, you know, that we'll be, and I told, I've told her that before. I was like, you do realize if we just save the money, just like not even talking about, you know, um, any kind of rates of returns in the stock market. If we just save it, we will hit a million in 10 years. So, um, so that is really exciting, but it almost, again, doesn't feel real yet. Um, because we're in the beginning of, of this journey. Um, in terms of, uh, so I guess when you say like, these are the options, I mean, to me, I just am a little confused of, or not confused, but like I'm, I'm challenged to figure out what should come first. Um, because if I think about accelerating uh, wealth in like a real way, I don't see it being in the stock market or the 401k. That said, the stock market and the 401k feel like safer bets. <laughs> so I don't want to, you know, just go, you know, uh, all out on on uh, rental properties and small businesses, and then these things could potentially tank, and that's like all of our wealth. So is there some maybe combination of doing all of those things, but then at a slower rate of getting to that small business goal slash, you know, more rental properties kind of thing? I don't think you can do 
all of those things. And I think this is the struggle everyone goes, goes yeah. through when they're starting to invest is if you diversify at this point, you guarantee yourself a mediocre return okay. and you delay on those things. You don't have like, that's, that's a diversification is a luxury you have once you get past the several hundred thousand dollar mark in net worth, you can do it. You can, yeah. you, you can buy a rental property and invest in stocks and buy a business in the next two or three years with that, but you can't do all three in the next six months with, right, with that, yeah, right? Yeah. You, and, and you can diversify, but, but so you're gonna have to pick one to start with, okay. um, with that. And I think which one you pick should be based on those goals, right? If you start a business right now in a restaurant, you know, that could be, I, I don't know all the difficulties and, and, and all those types of things, but that might take you a year or two to stabilize before it is now a good idea to begin your family yeah. with that. Yeah. I want to jump in here, Scott, before you before you talk about investing in the stock market. I want to jump in. Right now, it is so difficult to find people to work in restaurants. This is... Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get into political commentary. I just want to say that restaurateurs are having an almost impossible time finding workers. So what yeah, sort right. of restaurant does she want to open up? Maybe now is the time to put that on the back burner, not because it's not a valid goal or a, you know a valid desire, but because it's going to be an uphill battle yeah. with getting it set up and finding a place or finding people to work there. Now, if she's yeah. going to be a personal chef and all she has to do is rely on herself, that's a different story. If she needs one other person, that's a different story. But I went out to breakfast this weekend and it was a super long wait. You went out to breakfast, Mindy? We, we host a money show. I know, I know. You can <laughs> send kidding. all of your <laughs> nasty comments to scott <laughs> at biggerpockets.com. <laughs> But no, we walked downtown, had a great breakfast, but it took forever to get a seat. It took like 45 minutes for our food to come out, not because they were yeah. so busy, but because there was nobody to work. Right. So yeah. I don't want to throw cold water on your plans. I want to throw realistic content or realistic things to consider towards you. Yeah. That's some lukewarm water. Lukewarm <laughs> water. A little a little chilly water. It's it's yeah. a difficult time to invest in uh, or to open up a restaurant right now. On the other hand, if so many people are having such a hard time finding workers, maybe now is a great time to, you know, buy a restaurant. I don't know. I'm just again throwing this out there for you to consider. I think it's a research opportunity with that. I, I think Mindy yeah. makes some great points. There you go. And I was going to bring in the point about maybe now that is a reason, like she says, that this is now a time, a great time to buy restaurants because people are selling them at very low, pro, low prices or going out of business with that. And so it may be that that's actually a really good opportunity depending on those types of things. But bottom line is like you and your wife need to align on the goals that you have and what you think is the best opportunity and, and, and make a play on that best opportunity that's option one. Okay. Mindy, now go ahead and go ahead with option two. Uh, yeah. That you're about to go. Um, well, no, Scott suggested a money date. Scott and I sat down at the end of last year and kind of laid out a great way to have a money date with your spouse. So I suggest listening to episode 157 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast together. With no expectations, not, you know, hey, we have to do this. Just let's listen to this show. Let's take notes as we're listening and let's have a conversation so that we're both on the same page. Um, because I think that's a really great idea because you're, you're, you've paid off a chunk of debt yeah. that you 
that is awesome and we really need to celebrate that. Yay! Like the the Dave Ramsey debt free scream is really awesome. We should have a you paid off your your yeah. your debt. Yay! Scream. But anyways, woohoo! <laughs> It's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting that you say the money date, uh, because, um, we actually did do, we, I, I listened to your show like all the time. If she were, uh, here and not at work, she would say that, um, I'm a slightly obsessed, but, um, the money date we did do together, this was at the start of like our debt pay down journey. So this was just like the, we need to actually prioritize what we want because we're going in 85 different directions and it's causing us to like accumulate debt at a rate that like is honestly shameful for our income. So um, that that has happened. It hasn't happened recently. And that's, I think what probably is a good idea for this particular point in time, like re uh, recalibrating on everything. You, you have good options, but the stakes are huge, right? You have yeah. you have the option to realize the life that you want years in different directions based on how you approach this with that. And it's not like there's one right option, right? Buying a, if, let's suppose you say buying a restaurant's the right option from the return perspective. Well, maybe it's the wrong option for the family perspective with right. that. And stocks are the better option with that, right? right. And so, because it's passive and allows and allows that to just continue over the next five, 10 years with your current state and still build up. Like, so like, there is no right answer to that, but that's the kind of discussion that if you guys have, I think your, your outcome will become much clearer. You at least have some instincts about where to look and dive in much further. Yeah. To investigate. Yeah. And then I guess on the, on the, so I, I agree with both of your assessment on the, the small business front. Like we, we have sort of seen the struggle that small restaurant tours are, are kind of running into and, um, uh, with regard to the, uh, you know, shortage of, of labor in that particular, uh, area. When it comes to rentals, I almost feel like there's a similar challenge with that, like, it's kind of hard to find good deals on rentals because the housing market is like up so much. Um, and so that is also, you know, like, do we maybe want to sit out on that a little bit or should we stop trying to time the market and just jump in when, you know, when we're ready? I mean, I don't know how to think about that. Um, <laughs> that might lead into the next question around like what we do with this place, but uh, just pause for any thoughts there from you. I don't know how you can make that call on rentals versus the stock market right now, right? They're yeah, both up really high. It's 2021. Where's the asset class? Is it cash? Oh, wait, there's going to be a lot of inflation. So I yeah. can't put my money in cash. Yeah. Is it Bitcoin? Is that is that a viable investing strategy you know, to, off, to offset inflation with that? Yeah. Is it real estate? You know, real estate prices are through the roof. Is it stocks? Yeah. Stocks are through the roof. Yeah, is it small true. businesses? You know, business, oh, business valuations are through the roof with yeah. that. So I, I don't know how you can make a call on which, you know, do I pay off debt? What if I get, what if inflation happens and salaries continue to skyrocket and I'm paying off debt with dollars that are very expensive today and that are going to be really cheap tomorrow yeah. with that, right? And so I don't know how you can make a market-based decision on a lot of these things right now, other okay. than continuing the fundamentals of what is the best asset class based on what I think the long-term outlook is of it. What gives me the best probability of achieving my goals over the next five to 10 years with that um, by concentrating more heavily in that area um, with that? Or do I want to build a diversified portfolio over 10 years, slow and steady with that? I think you're going to have to make that decision with that. But I don't think you can say, I want to hold on real estate because I have another alternative, unless you feel confident in your analysis of all those other alternatives with it, which I think is is impossible. Yeah, that, that, so. that's definitely a good point. Everything is hot right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, like where are you going to put it instead? I, I, yeah. I, think, I think that's got to be the, 
the thought process. And there's problems with all the areas if you look for them. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Scott, that's not happy at all. Okay, so <laughs> it is happy. I'm going... it's, it's it's telling her, hey, she can there's... be freed from having to worry about the market with this. It's a good problem to have, I guess. Yes, you have a great problem to to have, but not choosing where to put the money. It's just going to sit there and lose value that way because inflation is most likely coming. We haven't talked about any sort of 401k match. Do you have any match at your work? So we don't, but uh, as of January of 2022, we will. We will start having a a 3% match um, of our salary or what, or yeah, 100% of our contributions up to 3% of our salary. So I, I, I planned to start doing that at least. Um, but like there, there's a real question of like, you know, do we reduce our taxable income right now by like, we could, we could literally by the end of the year, max out my 401k. Like that's the cash flow that we have right now. But is that smart considering that we're 12 years apart and we're not going to see that $19,500 until I'm 59 and a half or, you know, we'll be more. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent app, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Saving for a down payment? 
a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest, Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. So another question is, does your wife have any sort of 401k option? I believe she's self-employed. You said something about contract work. Yeah. So that is another uh, question that I have for you all is like, um, should she, so she's not, um, she's doing contract work. She doesn't have an LLC. And I know that there's some benefits um, to to doing that. And so should, should she officially do that? And then um, I think I've heard on your show that there's a way to do like a 401k for, um, like a small business, or I think you can even do it for an individual, right? If you're LLC. So like, should, should we do that and max that out there? What I did, my husband is unemployed and then has a blog and some self-employment income. He has no other employees besides me. I do some work through the LLC as well. So we created an LLC we have a self-directed solo 401k plan for each of us because he is the primary member of the LLC and has no full-time employees other than his spouse, me. We are able to contribute up to 19500 which is the traditional 401k uh, contribution personally, each one of us. And then the LLC the company can match our contributions up to 25% of our income. The total amount, and I can't ever remember if it's 52 or 54, but I could have 52 or $54,000 contributed to my 401k every single year. And the 19.5 comes out of my income. So that's tax deductible. I'm sorry, that's, that's, Text. What am I trying to say? That's I'm reducing my taxable income by that nineteen five, right. and then additionally, the company kicks some in. So if she has the, does she have any four hundred one k right now? No. Like, does she have any money in any sort of four hundred one k or IRA or tax deferred retirement plan of any kind? No, and honestly, I don't have much either in the way of that. Okay. Like, I think I maybe have six or seven k, which is kind of very nominal. Uh, okay. So that could be an option. Again, this is something to uh, a research opportunity to look into. You know, that's a great way to reduce your taxable income. Your adjusted gross income is too high right now to contribute to a Roth option. Is there any benefit for you guys to contribute to a Roth self directed solo 401k? Because that's an option if you set it up that way. Um, does your company have a Roth option? 
Uh, we talked to Kyle Mast on episode 200 about how he feels that the Roth option is going to be one of the easiest places for Congress to cut to help uh, increase income for the government coming in because uh, we've just been writing checks for the last year and a half. So there, we have to pay for that somehow. Um, so he thinks that the Roth option could go away in the future. So right now, contributing to a Roth might be the best choice. And again, you have to weigh my taxable income reduction versus the tax-free growth in the Roth. Um, but those are things to look at. Ask your company if they have a Roth option. I think I'm not eligible to contribute to that. No, like, isn't my salary above the threshold? You're not eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA on your own. I'm wondering if your company has oh. a Roth 401k option. Scott, do you know if there's a contrib- an income limit on the Roth 401k contributions? I don't think there is, right? I don't think there I don't think there is. I I, I max out a Roth 401k through okay. my employer. Yeah. Okay, got it. Okay. I think I was uh mistaken then on how that kind of works or or maybe I was getting that confused with the IRA. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think it's hard to say don't take the match. Like you, you definitely you should take the match in there yeah. and contribute enough to, to do that. That should be your, your standing policy on an annual analyzed basis. And then after that, I think it again comes back to the discussion that you need to have with your wife about like what is the goal here? What are we trying to back into? What's our timeline for those different types of things? The world's our oyster. How do we want to how do we want to approach this with that? And if it is we want to go and start. I'm making this up, but we want to go and start our family in the next six months. Um, there's no reason you you can't do that right now yeah. um, from, and, and be responsible financially with that. You know that might that might be a good way to be like, okay, then we're going to just crush our 401k contributions right now and reduce taxable income and back into that wealth over a 10 year period or 15 year period with that because it's totally passive in there, right? Got so it. I think that that's where you know and. But but if you're going to if you said because you told me earlier, Mindy and I earlier that you feel very handy and competent around rental properties and those types of things. If you feel that way, you can you may be able to get a better return depending on where you move and where you live, which is another part that's going to come out of the money date uh, yeah. with, with this the theme. That where that may be a better option for you than putting the money into an index fund inside of the even a tax advantaged retirement account with this. So I think it's hard to argue. Don't take the match, uh, and maybe consider things like a a a a um, uh, an HSA if you have that or those types of things. But then with the huge amount of money that's going to be left over after those contributions, it could be that real estate or the restaurant is a better option. It's just going to depend on your goals and timeline with that. Okay, so here's something that I just looked up. Your modified adjusted gross income under 198, 198,000, you can contribute to a Roth IRA if you are married filing jointly. If you are married filing separately. She's going to be way above that if she brings home 15K a month after tax for household. What I'm, I did 15 times 12 is 183. But she's making 250 bonus. on that. If, I don't, yeah. I didn't include my bonuses in that. I think that And that's after tax. That. Oh, okay. So, well, if you both contribute, you both max out your 401k, you reduce your taxable income 
And now you're, I mean, that's almost $40,000 you could reduce it by. So that's another research opportunity to go in and yeah. see if there's an opportunity to max out your, your Roth IRA or to even be able to contribute to a Roth IRA. With children on the horizon, my love for the real estate, for the restaurant is even less. And I don't mean to discount this goal. I just know how much energy it takes to run a restaurant and I know how much energy it takes to raise kids. And it just seems like, I mean, index fund investing, stock market investing is really you, you put the money into the stock or the index fund. And then that's the, the limit of your involvement in it. You have to, I mean, the best, the best thing to do is not have any more involvement in it at all. The trade-off with it, though, in your context, is that you are setting yourself up for mathematically. You know, if, if long-term averages hold true, a five, a, a yeah. ten-year grind yeah. where your position will improve, but you will not really become that much more free. Right. Um, you know, to, fr- from that perspective, over that ten-year period, that's the trade-off with the index fund investment. Um, with that. You guys have a great situation because you spend so much less than you bring in. Um, so you'll be able to do lots of things and, and, and have those, that luxury of choice there. But you will not generate a large amount of passive income that can fund your lifestyle passively for right. about 10 years if you decide to go in that direction with the index funds. Right. And I'm thinking, okay, so for the, the rental option, um, can we maybe double click into that a little bit more? Because I think the biggest point of contention right now, <laughs> we disagree on whether or not we should hold on to this property or sell it. Um, so it's a little bit of a tangled thing. So what I hear you saying is that you want to invest in more rental real estate. And if that's the case, how long have you owned this property? Your mortgage probably has a 12-month residency requirement. Once you've lived there for 12 months, you can move out. You don't have to refinance your property if you choose not to. You can move out, buy another property, and get the same owner-occupied lower down payment, lower interest rate, and do it again. Find another house hack and rent out a part and live in a part for 12 months and do it again and again and again if that's what you want or do it one more time and then buy the single family home that you mentioned so there are options for like if if you're okay continuing to move there's options to find like if you find a good deal uh you had mentioned before you know should we even bother because the market's so hot right now. Yes, the market's hot. And I think you should absolutely be keeping an eye on the market, continue to look for something when it works out. But having the ability to move into another property as an owner occupant is a good, uh, can help you get in there sooner than if you had to save up 25% down. Yeah. So, so here, here's, I think the nuance to this, um, because we were kind of all over the place when we were first getting into this real estate investment journey. Um, We bought the house, we fixed it up, okay? The thing that we were going to, what we initially planned on doing is uh, refinance it, uh, take money out of it, and then buy the next one. And then we quickly realized, oh, wait, with all this debt, that's not smart. And a lot of that insight actually came from your show, so thank you. Um, But I stopped feeling comfortable with that, and I think she did as well. And so... Um, we kind of put the brakes on that. And so now what we have is this HELOC um, where, you know, we could 
we were originally planning to pull money from, um, the refinance cost nine grand. Okay. We were also not very great at like keeping, so these are lessons learned of a novice, novice real estate investor, but we also weren't tracking the spending of what all those costs were adding up to. I think it's somewhere in the ballpark of 75 to 80. I think that we spent in total of everything to, to, I mean, this is a complete renovation of a, of a, a, a duplex, right? So I fear that um, I know that the market's hot and we could sell high, so to speak, but I think that's probably not as likely that you're going to sell super high to someone who's buying to invest in real estate versus someone who's buying their forever home that they're going to you know, dream about having kids in and stuff. So I just worry that we're not going to get the return. Like It's hard for me to stomach that we would get the not a good return on this, right? Um, as, as much as we've put into it. But but the, the the caveat here is that we're moving five hours away. That's already a decision that's been made. We need to be closer to my parents. There's a lot of reasons oh. health wise, and so would we keep a real estate? Or would we keep would we keep real estate five hours away when we? This is the only one we have. Like, do you have a bigger pockets pro membership? Actually, I think we do. Yep. Okay, you should. What here? Here's what you should do: run run the numbers on your duplex as a rental property in the calculator. Just, just put put them in. Put in conservative assumptions. Put in property management. Put in your utility bills. What you think rents will be in the side you have when you move out, and say, I am purchasing, quote unquote, this rental property with uh, right now. If you sold the place and you have a hundred thousand dollars in equity, how much is it worth? Um, so when we got it appraised, which was a year ago, um, it was uh, two twenty five, but. All indicators from other uh, duplexes, which ours are, are nicer than those, are like two fifty ish. Like we're kind of in a hot area, though. So okay. So if you if you sell it for two fifty, we don't need the specifics of that. But if you yeah. sell if you sell it for two fifty, let's call it. Let's let's assume we, you will need the specifics in your analysis. But yeah. For now, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, uh, if you sell it for two fifty, you're going to incur seven to eight percent in closing costs to get your money out on that, and that will be. Um, one percent is twenty five hundred times. It'd be about twenty grand, and so if you have a hundred thousand dollars in equity, you'd be left with eighty thousand after selling it. So, say I'm putting down eighty thousand dollars in cash uh, on on this property. I have no buyer closing costs because you already own the property, and run the analysis as a investment duplex and see. Would I would I make that investment right now, or would I take the eighty thousand dollars and apply it somewhere else to get a better return? And you'll have your answer about what you should do with the property with that. My my instinct is that because you already own the property, and because to sell it you'd have to incur those closing costs, and because it's a duplex and an investment property, my instinct says it's likely going to be turn out. Hey, that's probably a reasonable investment, and you got to install property management, and you're going to do just fine. Okay. Um, you're probably also going to be surprised at how much rents have increased over the last year um, and and be pleasantly surprised with that. And that will, I think, help some of the income situation. Okay. But I think running that analysis will give you your answer. How long have you lived in the property? We have been here um, uh, September of 2019, so we'll be two years now. Oh. If you sell the property... You may go ahead, Mindy. This is your this is your trick. I was going to say, if you sell the property after two years of owning it, you pay no capital gains taxes on the portion of the property that has been your primary residence. So, 
I'm not exactly sure because I've never done a duplex personally, but I I know that you would pay capital gains and depreciation recapture on the part that you've been writing off with your depreciation that you've been renting out, um, but you pay no capital gains on the part of your unit that has contributed to the increase in the property value. Mindy, I think we've actually discovered our first best investment for Carrie here, where you should talk to a CPA because you have a house hack and that's a very complicated uh, situation. And all the analysis I just gave you was pre-tax, did not, did not factor in taxes. Yeah. And the tax side of the equation is going to be treated, your primary versus your secondary residence is going to be treated differently. And so your decision, an $80,000 plus decision right now at least, yeah. is going to be heavily impacted by tax strategy. So there's no, no higher use of money than spending $500 to $1,000 to consult with a, a CPA or whatever that turns out to be for a few hours yeah. for advice on how to handle that situation from a tax angle. And then you can make it from, a, a, um, you know, figure out your investment decision first without the tax situation and then layer in the taxes on top of that and see if that changes the game for you okay. um, would be my, my advice there. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and awesome. all of my suggestions, I had missed when you had said that you were moving five hours away. On that level, having one property five hours away doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. I certainly wouldn't advise you to buy this property five hours away from where you're going to live. But right. since you already own it, running all the numbers in all the different ways is a really great research opportunity. That's my new catchphrase for this episode. Um, yeah. Just to see what, what makes the most financial sense. If you want to continue to own real estate and this property works out, then yeah, keep it. Um, going forward, when you move to the new property or to the new area, um, are you, it sounds like you're moving to a place that you're semi-familiar with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I would have a good lay of the land on like where we should invest. By the way, we don't do this enough. Congratulations on your great problem. Because you house hacked, <laughs> you now have a very good problem. And we're talking about it very seriously. All business, all, yeah. you know, I'm all business today uh, with this. But like, that's a good, you have a, you have a very good, good issue on, on your hands with this particular property and likely that you have a great investment as a rental property or a tidy profit if you sell. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you moving to a low cost of living, another low cost of living area, or is it more of a high cost of living area? It's about comparable. It's about comparable. I would even say where we're living is maybe even a little bit higher, just slightly though. It's not that much of a, a difference, but, um, I guess the thing that I'm worried about is that if we were to um, if we were to sell, I'm worried that appreciation hasn't had enough time to do its magic <laughs> for this to have been like a good return. I think we would like not we do a little bit better than break even, but if you just think of like how much money we put in, because we put in eighty, like that's what we put in, and then with closing costs and everything, I feel like we'd kind of just break even, and that breaks my heart because like literally blood, sweat, tears went into this house. So it's not possible for you to do this, or at least if you're a normal human being, but, but because we're looking in, it is possible for us to, to say this, Th that is what we call sunk cost, right? And, and theoretically we should not worry about those costs. Hey, okay. what's done is done. What I put in is put in. The situation is what it is. Going forward, here's my current situation and here's what I expect to happen in the future. I'm okay. going to make a decision based on that. Um, that may be not possible for you because you put so much 
blood, sweat, and tears into the property, lived there, and had all that. Um, so I want to acknowledge that. But I think from a purely rational uh, decision standpoint, if you can, if you can pop out and just think of it as a piece of property that is what it is with it, that will help you in your analysis, at least in running the numbers with it. Um, okay. Because... I, I think you know that appreciation could be better the same in your new town, and you'll have more cash flow on it, or whatever that is, right? And so that's that's something you need to you need to think about with that. Um, but I also recognize that it's not really quite as it, that sounds great to say, and it's much harder to translate into practice and reality. Yeah, well, I think it makes a lot of sense, though. I mean, um, uh, in some ways, that's what Victoria has been kind of saying is like, you know, we uh, if if hiring a property management company for one property and we're five hours away is not going to get like, we don't want to cause an issue where it's like, uh, we're losing out over the long term. So if we have to maybe lose out a little bit now or less than what we would hope to have made, then um, maybe that's better than just drawing it out for however long. So let's see. So then if I was in your position, in the new location, I would find a real estate agent who is knowledgeable about the area, knowledgeable about investments, and start seeing what's available. Maybe you get a really amazing property right off the bat. Maybe you're going to need to rent for a little bit. Do you have an imminent time that you need to be there, or is it just you know that very soon you're going to move there? Uh, I think we had put the goal out to like a year ish. We said we would do too if if necessary, but I think from um, both uh, my wife and my perspective, it's like uh, we don't want to continue to put down roots in here if, if we're we're going to have to move eventually anyway. And so things like you know, ooh, investing in real estate and all of that stuff, it's like I mean, let's get there and then do it. Like that's kind of how we're thinking about it, like just speeding up the process a little bit. But yeah, about about a year time frame. Okay. So you've got a lot of options. I mean, what I love so much about every part of your story is there's a lot of optionality. You can start looking now, but you don't have to be there tomorrow. You can start keeping an eye on the market. And Scott has a really great way to look for properties um, where you don't look at what's available. You look at what has recently sold. If you know that you want a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex, look at what has recently sold in the area. Oh, there's a lot that's sold. Or hey, there's no multifamilies there. Maybe I should just look for single families. Um, seeing what has sold in the last three months based on what you're looking for, your price range, et cetera, can give you an idea of where you should start looking, can show you how much those properties are actually going for. So when a good deal pops on the market, you can act very quickly. Um, we discussed that in our book, First Time Homebuyer. So if you don't have a copy, I would love to send you a copy. Looks like this. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, but there's a really, it's, it's, Scott details it in a really, really great way. Um, but looking at what is on the market now, you may see only not great deals. By looking at what has sold, you can see what these properties are selling for, what people are valuing them at and make a, a better educated decision. I agree. I, I think I think it comes back to you're going to have to research. You're going to have to have that discussion with your wife and figure out what you want to do and then heavily research the, the options available to kind of figure out, hey, what is the best one for us? What's going to what's going to achieve our goals the best across the three large categories of decisions we discussed around buying rental property, 
um, investing in stocks or whatever. You're going to have the option to do all of the above in the next two or three years, but you're going to make it. You're going to start somewhere um, and, and likely go hard in that area, or you can just keep paying down debt um, as a fourth option with that. But I think that will come out of that discussion, and then. That research, I think, will kind of further help you decide on that. Maybe you say, hey, real estate's perfect, and we're going to, because we're, we feel confident in the new market and our ability to repair and manage the properties, or maybe you decide that's not for you. But I think it comes down to that discussion and then researching all of the alternatives. I think it comes back down to you're going to have to have that money date with your wife and then figure out where do we want to go with our lives from here and heavily research the options we discussed here. We had three around a tax advantaged index style fund investing approach um, or, or other stock market approach there that would be mostly passive. We have the real estate option, which is going to be semi-passive, but may play to your skills as, you know, in remodeling properties and, and your interests in learning about that and could drive more cash flow or better returns than other alternatives. And then third, we have the kind of entrepreneurial restaurant option that might play to your your, your wife's skill set and experiences and be the, the highest upside opportunity with the most work. Yeah. Um, you also have the option to just keep paying down debt. Um, you have good options because of your income and your savings rate and your home equity with that. But um, I think those are big decisions and the strategy will be impacted based on what you want and when you want it um, yeah. with that. And so research will come into play no matter what. Yeah. And, and, and just from a purely number standpoint, that fourth option that you're mentioning with like the rest of the debt that we have, considering that the rest of the debt is pretty low interest rate debt um, and considering what our goals are, would that be a viable fourth or is that kind of like down here in comparison to, you know, the, the top three that we had kind of talked the majority of the time about? It, it doesn't seem to be a high priority based on your philosophy and what I've picked up based on yeah. our conversation. You don't seem in an urgent uh, in a rush to get completely debt free right now. Um, and you seem much more interested in getting a better mathematical return if but but the right answer for many folks we've had on the show is pay off that debt and knock it out and be debt free because that's just much cleaner. Doesn't seem to be the way you're wired. But if it is and I'm wrong, then that becomes a much a much higher option or a much better option. I guess, I guess the approach that I had just uh, had have been taking is we wanted to pay off any high interest debt, but um, anything that was kind of like uh, below or just at that like five percent threshold is like what we kind of have been ignoring, and that and that is what we're left with anywhere between zero and five point five. So that's what I do in your situation. Yeah. Personally. Okay. Okay. That's 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 what I wanted to hear. <laughs> so I, whatever that that's worth, I think I think that's that's right. Um, okay. So. Okay, this was really helpful. I think uh, we have three very clear directions that we can go into. It sounds like, uh, you know, picking one of them and, and, and kind of concentrating hard in one area, maybe um, contributing to at least the kind of 401k and doing a little bit of stuff with the stocks um, is is uh, what I'm hearing from the conversation. Um, but I, I think that money date is probably, is probably way past due, so. <laughs> Great. That's awesome. I Yeah, I think the money date, um, having it regularly is going to help keep you on track and keep you both discussing it together because you're coming from slightly different positions yeah. and slightly different mindsets, having the having the conversation and, hey, remember, this is what we want to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just keeps you excited about it. We have 
My yeah. husband and I have uh, ongoing money discussions. Like all we do is talk about money. My kids are like, uh, mom, I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I do think also just because we presented a few options here does not mean that in discussion with your wife on the money date, more options won't present themselves. So you're not limited to those, but those are three that seem apparent based on the discussion you gave us today. So yeah, so many good options right now. Yeah, And, uh, and those are the three main ones for sure. Um, I think anything else would probably be uh, less either playing to our skill sets or less in our passions or interests. So I, I do think it's between those three. Um, uh, and I think right now we're just in this place where we had a very high momentum for about, you know, eight or nine months as we were on this debt pay down journey. And now we're at just like, okay, we don't have any debt. Yay. But we also don't really have any money right now. So like this up, we're, we're at the, we're at the valley of all of this. And now we're like kind of headed back up to actually seeing some of that, uh, kind of cash coming in. And I, I think we'll start getting more excited for the trajectory once we start to actually build some of it up. So, well, thank you so much. Carrie, thank you for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. I agree. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, Scott, that was Carrie. And those were some really great decisions she has made in the past and some really awesome opportunities she has headed her way. And now she just needs to kind of figure out which way she wants to go. Yeah. I, again, I think it was a, a great discussion, um, like we mentioned in the in the introduction here. And I think I think that she's and her wife are going to be very wealthy over time if they continue to have such a strong fundamental uh, position that they have with their their income less expenses there the, the savings rate that they've achieved um, I think they're gonna have a lot of good options and they're gonna get wealthy one way or another as long as that fundamental remains in place but it is a matter of several years and and certain lifestyle outcomes depending on which strategy they choose from an investing standpoint so I think I think it's still a, a great discussion with that and um, um, good on them for for coming getting into that position. It's it's kind of eye opening, I think, for some folks to think about. Oh yeah, I've never had money before, but in a year I'm going to have a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Like, how do you? I think I think it's a wake up call to some folks who are maybe in a similar position. Like, hey, you may just because you're coming out of a grind right now and have gotten the fundamentals right, all of a sudden you're going to have more cash than you know what to do with, or maybe more than you've ever had if you're applying the fundamentals that we talk about on BP Money week after week within a year or maybe two from today. And how you, how are you going to set that up? Because how you do that can have major ramifications for your life in a really positive way, um, depending on your goals. And, and your circumstances. Yeah, I'm excited for all of their opportunities. And after we stopped recording, we had a bit more of conversation about how, you know, she has had this kind of life-changing event where now the debt is gone and now she's looking to the future. And one of the things that came up is she's like, you know, we ha we make all this money, but we don't have a ton of cash. So something she's focusing on is... Uh, building up her cash reserve so she can look at that and see, oh, I am doing great. I am having success now. And, you know, I, I just wanted to add to the, the recording of the actual show that, you know, this is now she's in kind of this, this mind shift and a psychological game where she needs to have psychological wins that allow her to see the growth that she's the, the phenomenal growth that she is is experiencing. And I'm just really excited for all the things that her her future holds. Yeah, they're going to be millionaires really, really easily. 
and they could be millionaires quickly if they tightened their belt just a little bit more. Should we get out of here, Mindy? Okay, Scott, now we should get out of here. From episode 232 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, I'll give you a call, baby doll. And small multifamily investing is so popular in the bigger pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.